This afternoon, we will be looking at the first article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So in connection with that, we will be reading from Job, Job chapter 38 and following. You'll be able to find that on page 611 of your pew Bible. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? When I fixed my limit for it and set the bars and doors? When I said, this far you may come but no farther and here your proud waves must stop? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place that you may take it to its territory, that you may know the paths to its home? Do you know it? Because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered the treasury of snow? Or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? By what way is light diffused, or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water, or a path for the thunderbolt, to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one, a wilderness in which there is no man, to satisfy the desolate waste and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? And the frost of heaven, who gives it birth? The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades, or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the Mazaroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with his cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the mind? Or who has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can pour out the bottles of heaven when the dust hardens in clumps and the clods cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens? 
or lurk in their lairs to lie in wait? Who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark when the deer gives birth? Can you number the months that they fill? Or do you know the time when they bear young? They bow down, they bring forth their young, they deliver their offspring. Their young ones are healthy, they grow strong with grain, they depart and do not return to them. Who set the wild donkey free? Who loosed the bonds of the onager? Whose home have I made the wilderness and the barren land his dwelling? He scorns the tumult of the city. He does, not need, he, he does not heed the shouts of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. Will the wild ox be willing to serve you? Will he bed by your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in the furrow with ropes? Or will he plow the valleys behind you? Will you trust him because his strength is great? Or will you leave your labor to him? Will you trust him to bring home your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly. But are her wings and pinions like the kindly storks? For she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. She treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain, without concern, because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. Yet when she lifts herself on high, she scorns the horse and its rider. Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting strikes, strikes terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He gallops into the clash of arms. He mocks at fear and is not frightened. Nor does he turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and javelin. He devours the distance with fierceness and rage, nor does he come to a halt because the trumpet has sounded. At the blast of the trumpet, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of captains and the shouting. Does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? On the rock it dwells and resides, on the crag of the rock and the stronghold. From there it spies out the prey. Its eyes observe from afar. Its young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there it is. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. So far the word of God. In connection with this, we will be reading God's word as summarized in Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and you'll be able to find that on page 525 of your book of praise. 
What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds them by his eternal counsel, upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thinking back to this past week, have you acknowledged God in it? Whether this week was good for you or bad, have you acknowledged God in it? Have you recognized your Heavenly Father's care? In our Lord's Day today, we read about the nature of our Father's care. And we see how it's not tied to guaranteed security in life. It's not tied to a life in which everything is sunshine. We read here that there will be adversity that He sends me in this life of sorrow. Dark clouds will come into our lives as Christians. And for many, dark clouds have come into our lives as Christians. In good times or in bad, do we believe that God is in control? Maybe some of us do believe that God is in control. But do we trust Him in control? Do we trust Him being the one who guides our lives. There are young people among us who are looking forward to doing profession of faith, and you will profess that you do trust Him. And you're looking, there are those of you who are looking ahead to your profession classes, hoping to do the same. You've confessed, or you will confess, that you trust that he holds you in his hand from beginning to end. You've professed that you believe that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. For all of us, this is an especially good reminder as we enter into our passage today. Because today, we are introduced to the man Job. For those of you who are familiar with the story of Job, you may remember how his life started In chapter 1 and 2, we read about how this rich man with a large family was brought low. He was brought low by the attacks of the devil. This was a man who was faithful and who loved God, who the devil said could be brought down by hard times. If I take away his flocks and herds, If I take away his family, he'll curse you to your face, the devil said. But God said no. And to show his people later on that despite the attacks of the devil, he would still be there for them, God gave the devil free reign. Take what you want from him, God said, but don't take his life. And the devil goes on to take everything he can. 
It might be tempting to go the route of some and look critically at God in light of this. But many people don't realize two things here. First is that God is showing something not just to the devil and not even just to Job himself. The devil constantly fights to overwhelm people every day. We know this. There's no surprise to it. But what God is doing here, placing this event in the Bible, for the benefit of the people of God, He's showing them that no matter what happens, He Himself will keep His own in the end. God will keep His own. The devil can and does do his best to attack people and to drive them astray, but if they belong to God, he won't allow them to fall. And the second thing to consider flows out of the first one. That's the realization that not everything comes to us because it's about us. Sometimes things come to us and it's not about us at all. Sometimes God brings us into situations for the benefit of other people. Sometimes we can go through terrible situations and see nothing in it for ourselves. And it's at these points that we need to step back and look at the big picture, asking ourselves and praying to God, help me to show my trust in this time. How do I not waste my cancer? How do I not waste my depression? How do I not waste this trial that's been set in my path? How do I glorify my God in my present situation with my present trials? We'll see this under the following theme, trusting in God our Father. And we'll see, first of all, the background of God's rebuke. Second, the Father of creation is in control. And third, all works out for the good of those who love Him. In the opening words of chapter 38, we read, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. He's not just God here when he's answering Job. You'll find in previous situations when he's spoken of by the friends of Job, they use the Hebrew words El or Eloah, just the generic terms for God. But here, he is Yahweh, the God who exists, who reveals himself, and who deals with his people through the covenant, who now comes to Job out of the storm. With his words, our eyes are immediately directed back to what came before. What happened? What did Job say for God to respond in this way? Over the previous chapters, Job's friend Elihu has been speaking. Job had talked about how he feels like God no longer hears. There was a time that God had felt like a friend who was close to him. And things were good in those days. We read in chapter 29 how he had family and he had love. He was able to, by God's good gifts, deliver the poor the fatherless who had no helper. He caused the widow's heart to sing for joy and righteousness clothed him, justice like a robe and a turban. He was well respected and people listened to him. But now having faced disaster and having had everything taken away, everyone has abandoned him. 
men who are younger, who ought to show respect, if for nothing more than his age, mock him. He declares his righteousness to those who are around in chapter 31. He didn't look lustfully at other women, nor did he let others treat his wife shamefully. He did not mistreat his servants or do anything to withhold aid from the poor, the widow, or the fatherless. He did none of that, nor anything else. So why? Why is this happening? And here, in the confusion of his mind, and in the sorrow of his soul, he questions God. He says in chapter 31, verse 32, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. Now, don't get him wrong. He doesn't want sympathy here. He's also beyond the point of asking for a mediator, an arbitrator, to present his case to God. Instead, his action here His statement here is the ancient equivalent of laying out a written legal document declaring his innocence. Here is my mark, he declares. That's the attachment of a signature to that kind of a document, my mark. He's calling God to court to testify against him. If Job sinned, and that's why everything happened, let him say so. But Job believes himself to be innocent. Elihu had responded by rebuking Job. God is good, he says. And you seem to have lost sight of that. He's not saying specifically that Job sinned and brought this on himself, like the other friends did. But he does call into question Job's statement that he is without sin. He says in Job 33, But I tell you, in this you are not right. In this you are not right, for God is greater than any mortal. Job 34, he says it's unthinkable that the Holy One, that God, would pervert justice. And in chapter 35, he points out that, of course, God doesn't listen to the arrogant person's plea. And Job's voice recently has definitely bordered on that arrogance. These are the words of Elihu. As he rebuked Job, a storm had been gathering on the horizon pointing to the storm and using it as an example, Elihu looks at its power and ferocity and the fact that a storm causes all of creation to bow before it. He uses this to point Job to God's greatness and power. God is far above us. Do you really want to challenge his motivations for bringing this to your life? It's one thing to cry out to God, why, Job? Many of us do. We ourselves know this as well. We read through the book of Psalms and we do hear the psalmists in different places crying out, Why, O God? But we are not to assume and we are not to challenge God. That is where we run into trouble. And so we begin to think that God is being unfair that he's acting beyond what it's right, and we begin to respond in ways that aren't right. And so the Lord answers. The Lord answers out of that very storm that had been gathering. The Lord speaks of Job darkening his counsel, a word that was used in chapter 37, verse 19, to speak of ignorance. 
He's reminding Job that neither Job nor his friends have represented his divine will. He reminds all of us today that unless we hold what we say and do and what we suggest about God against the light of his word, we will begin making accusations about God and we will be walking in darkness. As we read in Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When we say, God, this is what you're trying to do and to show me, and I'm not pleased with the way you're going about it, we lose sight of this we lose sight of what God is saying in this passage in Isaiah and of what God is saying here in Job. Do we remember that God's ways are higher than our ways? He calls us not to try figure him out, not to try challenge him or his, on his righteousness and his goodness. Because he is good and he is righteous and he is just. But he calls us to recognize that there may be things going on which are beyond us. In this particular case, in the case of Job, it was in part to give an example to Satan. But it was most especially for God's people for thousands of years to come. It was to tell them that no matter what happens, God won't let his people fall. The devil may say, I can strip everything from him, and then he'll curse you. But God says, no, he won't, because he is mine. No matter what happens, he won't let his people fall. Now, in our case, it might not be that we have something written down for thousands of years to come. It might be simply to touch the life of a hundred people, or ten, or one. Perhaps it's just that God is shaping or forming us personally. But God calls us to step back and consider, do we trust Him to know what He is doing? Even if we do ask why, do we trust that God knows what He is doing? His ways are higher than our ways. We're not to accuse him of injustice. Rather, we are to humble ourselves and to recognize that despite how confusing things can be for us personally, the God of creation is in control. The Father of creation is in control. And it's at that point, when Elihu is describing that total control and the greatness of God, that God really begins to speak out of that storm. As those of you who were with us a number of Sundays ago saw, when we see God as creator, it was often understood in the ancient world that he was considered to be the father of creation, the source and the origin of creation. And you can see this most specifically in the opening words of God. God chastises Job. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job's been saying things about God. 
and even skirting the edges of challenging God's right to do things to him, presuming on God's motivations. And God begins by telling him that he has no right to establish, to, he has no right to challenge his motivations in the first place. He begins by telling him who is truly in control. And this is where our chapter takes off in earnest. Working through creation, of course not in the same day-to-day order as Genesis 1, but giving us a poetic overview, our Father speaks in beautiful ways about his handiwork. He is the one who called everything into existence. He is the one who placed the boundaries and put the laws of nature into place. He was the one who declared the limits to each and every single day. He is the God who created not only the physical world, but he created the spiritual world as well. The gates of death are not unfamiliar to him because he is the one who allows souls to cross that threshold from life to death. He controls the weather from one moment to the next and directs the constellations in their movements, the Pleiades, Orion, the great bear. As they spin through the heavens, he shows them the way to go. The animals cry out to him. When a lion roars, they might from a human perspective be looking for their food from the vast herds on the plains. But Job teaches us that they're ultimately crying out to God. Because it's God who provides them with the food they need to keep living. The animals bear their young. They have their levels of wisdom granted to them by God. They have their levels of wisdom granted to them by God. He gives them strength. He gives them power. And He gives them wings to fly. Our God and Father has created all that The Lord is in control of all that. Who can do anything but stand in awe when God lays it out for us, as he does here, so vividly and so clearly? To stand back and shake our fists at the Lord, not saying that Job did this, but it's a temptation for us to do it at times. To stand back and shake our fists at the Lord, to question God, but not just to question Him, but to challenge Him on the rightness of His cause. To put words and motivations into His mouth, which He has not revealed to us, and then to judge Him based off of that. It's stunning that we would have the audacity to do that in light of what our Father has revealed to us about His control over everything. God is good. And his care for creation is good. Even if in its fallen state, he preserves it. And he cares for it, directing creatures as small as baby crows to receive their food from his hand. And if he has all of this under his control, if all of this is in his hand, it's more than we can imagine. He's much bigger than we can comprehend. And if we can't wrap our minds around how he holds all of creation in his hand, is it perhaps possible that when things happen in our lives, he might have his own reasons for letting them happen? Is it perhaps possible That if you have a God who is big enough to be angry at for all the suffering or all the hardship or inconvenience in the world, 
You may also have a God who is big enough that his motivations for allowing these things to happen are beyond you. You can't have it both ways. Either he's not big enough to be held accountable for what you experience, or else he may be big enough to hold more than you can imagine, more than you can fit into your own mind and preserve it and have reasons for doing it that are beyond what you can hold in your own mind. You are called to trust in him. This doesn't mean that we won't face difficulties in life when we put our trust in him. But it does mean that you face them with a new perspective. You face them with the perspective that our Lord lays out in Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Being reminded by all that, being reminded by the words of our God to Job, by the words of our Lord to those in the crowds around him, that causes us to step back from questioning the goodness of God and questioning his motivations. He is the creator. Does he not hold all of creation under his control? We have a Father who is in control. We have a Father who loves us. Are we to question that love? If we are doing that right now, let us join with Job in repentance, saying, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no farther. Let us ask ourselves, do we trust in him completely enough to turn even this situation or this suffering over to him and to seek to glorify him even through our suffering, even through our grief? Finally, we are to reflect on the fact that he promises that all will work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8. Verse 28. It's at this point when we look to our Heidelberg Catechism that we are reminded of one of the most comforting passages in all of our confessions which runs parallel to that passage from Romans 8 verse 28. We read there in the Catechism In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. 
What's the reason for such confidence? Where do you find the assurance for that? In two truths which are readily available throughout Scripture. First, He is able to do so as Almighty God. And we saw that as Creator. Our Heavenly Father is powerful beyond all measure. The passages which we read in these chapters of Job give us a small taste of that. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? But our God doesn't leave us with just that profession of his glory and might. All this does show that our God is powerful, that he is our almighty God, that he's able to do things for our good because he holds all of creation in his hand. It does show that, but it doesn't end there. While Job himself is told to stand back and simply recognize that God is indeed still in control, and that he may have greater reasons for doing what he wills than Job can understand. We have more revealed to us today. Through Christ, we have God more thoroughly made known to us. It's because of that that we say he is able to provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. He's able to turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do this as almighty God. But he is also willing to do so as our faithful father. He's able to do it all. But he's also willing to do so as our faithful father. And that's what our Lord's Day is trying to bring to the fore today. Because He's not just the Father of creation. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is your Father too. Perhaps you don't know Him as your Father yet. If this is your first time, coming to see him, I would encourage you. I would encourage you to put your faith in him as your father. Because he is not only the God who is in control over all creation, but for the sake of Christ his son, he is the God who will care for you. For the sake of Christ his son, he cares for you. And in the power of Christ, you can confess the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by His eternal counsel and providence. He is, for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father. Christ Himself says in John 10, Verse 27 to 29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, that they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
just as Job later had it revealed to him that no matter how low he was brought, God would not allow him to be snatched out of his hand. So too today, we are reminded that God will not allow those who call him Father, will not allow those who truly have him as their Father to be snatched out of his hand. Christ has paid the price so that the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, might truly hold you in this way. Through Christ, God shows his grace to us in sharing with us not just this truth, but in sharing with us the honest heart's cry of the suffering believer as well. He knows what we went through. Remember, Christ himself asked of his Father once before being led away to be crucified, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Christ went ahead and he bore that suffering. And it was not a suffering that made life in the moment better for Christ himself, but it was for the benefit of countless numbers of others that he should be, bring many sons and daughters to glory. And so we look forward to that final goal as well. By the strength that our Father gives to us. We look forward to that goal. In Luke 22, verse 43, we read how well Jesus prayed earnestly and passionately in that hour of need, in that darkest hour of his, an angel appeared in that moment to minister to him, giving him the encouragement necessary to carry on with that final goal in his mind. And we are brought to understand that because of what Christ did for us in that hour when he received that encouragement and he went forward to the cross and he suffered, that God, our Father, will strengthen us too. Even in the trials that we know we must face. Trials we cannot turn aside from. Matthew 6, verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So in all things, let us pray to him earnestly. And in the trials we must face, let us place our trust in him. And let us do so with the attitude Christ calls us to in the very next verse of Matthew 6. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that our ultimate goal is glory, and trusting that our God will work through our suffering, will work in our suffering, will walk alongside us as we journey through that and will carry us the entirety of the way, working for our good until that final day. Amen.